Okay, you can be seated. Now very quickly, very quickly and loudly, I need three people to tell me what's the most significant thing you've learned so far. Okay? So just jump up or raise your hand and I'll, I'll see your hand. Okay, nobody learned anything. So I'm telling, telling those guys they ought to sing. They ought to sing. Yes, that's one. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. Don't rush through the gospel. Cover it every week if you need to. Find different ways, but don't rush the gospel. It's so important. Our, our counseling ministry, and probably at, at Grace here, but at Calvary Bible Church, our counseling ministry is our most fruitful evangelistic ministry. Okay, somebody else. What did you learn? Significant. Yes. Yeah, don't blame others. You do what you do because you want what you want. Uh, no circumstance can make you sin against God. Let's hear from a man. Don't be passive. No, never mind. Practice what you preach. That's right. You've got to have a... Uh, that's why the Apostle Paul was passionate about making sure the men who were leading the church and even serving the church uh, had, had at least met some basic qualifications, namely of a deacon. So at our church, if you don't have a proving character of a deacon, you don't match what it says in, um, in uh, 1 Timothy 3, and in Titus 1, uh, then, then we're going to do some more work with you, more discipleship with you before we turn you loose as a biblical counselor. It's so important. Well, today, uh, this morning, I am here to cover the, <laughs> the uh, key elements. This is part one. The reason I laugh is because there are three lectures in this hour. And... Uh, and I'm going to move as quickly as I can. I am going to skip a lot. Uh, in your notes, I included a lot, a lot of detail, um, because I know I'm going to have to move fast, so I'm going to take leaps and bounds. If I skip something and you saw it and you think, I don't know what that is, just raise your hand, okay? I'll stop and, and try to answer your question. I'm, I may not know all the answers, but here we go. Okay, so key element number one covers... Uh, three basic areas, and that is data gathering. This one is really important. That's why I put it up front. They're all important, but this one is, is significant. If you mess it up here, if you don't do your job here, you won't have the information you need to do the other things. And so uh, this one is uh, its why we call it a key element. It really is essential. Another one is uh, building involvement. Building involvement means establishing a relationship with this person. And then the third one is uh, interpretation, interpreting the data that you've collected and drawing conc- uh, some conclusions uh, after the fact. And so let's talk about data gathering. There are some biblical texts here, and I put the references here, uh, uh, put the references in, so I won't be quoting them all, but I want you to look up uh, these later. But you know Proverbs 18.13. Do you know Proverbs 18.13? How many of you know Proverbs 18.13? I'm not asking if you've ever read it. You're a Christian. I know you've read it, right? But what is, what is Proverbs 18.13? Can someone quote it for me? Okay, so let me quote it for you. Um, you should know it that quickly, right? And, and here's what it says. The first, no, 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 that's uh, 17. Uh, 13 says, uh, no, I don't know it. <laughs> hey, it's a lot of pressure being up here. <laughs> Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 13. Oh, 
by the providence of God, I just uh, had my marker here, 1813, and it says, uh, if one answers before he is heard, it is his folly and shame. We usually tell people that uh, in the first minute uh, that we're counseling, you may do some introductory things, you might try to establish a, a bit of a connection with the people, where you're from, you know, and, and all of that, but pretty quickly, you're going to say, listen, I'm probably going to spend most of my time just writing because I'm going to ask you questions and I just want, uh, the reason I want to ask you questions and hear your answers is because Proverbs warns me. The one who draws the conclusion before he is heard, he's a fool. It's folly and shame. So just mark that, write it somewhere on a card. You will need to memorize that. And you will use that in every first session, I guarantee, or you should. And then uh, James 1, 9, 19a, uh, probably not a strict interpretation, but an application. Uh, it says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And I think uh, it's talking about something else there. But it, it does apply to all communication. We need to be careful about how uh, we respond when... Um, when, when we hear information uh, that, that we, don't, uh, we don't misinterpret it, uh, but that we don't jump ahead of it or do anything else with it. Now, let me give you a great tool. This is the best tool, or one of the best tools that Randy Patton, don't you love Randy Patton? Was he, what, did he teach it yesterday? Yeah. He's coming to my house for dinner tonight. Kind of scares me, but <laughs> we're going to have a good time. Um, Randy Patton was the one who gave this to me. This is the Wheel of Life, it's called. And so we put it in this, well, it's kind of a lopsided uh, wheel there. That's because I made it. Every, everything I make is lopsided. Um, so here's the deal. So here are, here are six categories. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of other issues here that you can ask questions about in the notes. But here are uh, several. Number one. Number one, let's go back to the gospel, right? Talk to me about your spiritual life. What's your relationship with the Lord like? Um, and what I want you to do, and maybe pair up to do this, when I did this for the first time, I got my associates and I said, hey, do you want to help me with the project? And they said, no. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said uh, would you like to go to lunch with me? And they said, yes. And I said, well, over lunch, we're going to work on this project. <laughs> and, uh, and I just had them help me think through what good questions can we ask about a person's spiritual life. Come up with at least six uh, what about your husband and wife relationship if this person is married? Uh, tell me about that. Come up with six questions you can ask. Parent-child relationship, work, school, money, physical health, uh, spiritual life, influential people in your life, and then, of course, whatever the current concerns are. Um, so those are the biblical texts. That's the wheel of life. So let's talk about how to, to gather data. Um, and, and don't say that term to them, gather data. Uh, say, <laughs> I just, I just want to get to know you, and uh, it's going to take some time. We need to do it rapidly, so I'm going to ask a lot of your questions, and I can't wait to hear about God's grace in your life and all of that stuff. Uh, so don't tell them you're gathering data. Uh, so here is, here is uh, some of the list here. And this, I think, was from Wayne Mack. Uh, preach, P-R-E-A-C-H. Uh, physical issues. Uh, resources and relationships, jobs, schools, social, spiritual, um, emotions, feelings. Uh, he says strong emotions. So there's a difference between emotions and strong emotions. Uh, actions, behavior, omissions, uh, commissions. 
and this is re- relative to sin and communication and all kinds of things. Um, and then you can read through those. How do we gather this information? How do we gather this information? So here is a, here are some formal ways. You can have them fill out a, a personal data inventory. In fact, uh, if you are with any of our five churches who are, uh, whose pastors are, are the primary teachers here, um, they already have it set up so that you will have a date, personal data inventory that you will send or your secretary will send to that person. We have one that's digital, so my assistant, uh, when she gets a call, uh, she just sends it digitally. They can fill it out digitally and send it right back. Um, but everybody uses a, a personal data, da- data inventory, and it's got tons of questions on it that are going to be really helpful for you. Uh, basic information sheet. Uh, there's some questions on that that are, that are not on the uh, PDI, um, but it is going to help you because they're, uh, they're broader questions instead of specific, um, and they're going to answer them differently, and that will give you more data. Uh, you're going to collect data by giving them uh, homework assignments. How do they do on the homework assignments? Uh, what did they glean? Uh, journals. Journals are the best. Journals are the best. If you can get them journaling, then what you have is data in their own hand. Not data as you remember it, not data as you may have mistakenly wrote it down, uh, but uh, journal entries in their own hands. And there's a lot of, you can make up your own journal um, structure, but uh, uh, anger journal, anxiety journal, temptation journal, temptation journal, uh, one of them is a chart that uh, helps them to identify what was the temptation, when did it happen, where were you geographically when it happened, and a few questions like that. And they give you about ten of those, and you start seeing patterns. Like it always happens at night before you go to bed, um, or on the way home, uh, when you pass a certain store, you don't pass, you stop in, uh, things like that. But you'll be able to identify patterns that will be really helpful. So depression, compulsion, uh, a prayer journal. Uh, I do a whole lecture just on prayer journal. I used mine this morning. Uh, it's so important that they have a prayer plan, right? Here's, here's something we got to be aware of, uh, even as biblical counselors. All of us have been psychologized, right? And all of us, whether we like it or not, think of counseling as really just tackling the problem and uh, giving them some good advice and patting them on the back and sending them out the door and hope everything works out. Uh, this is supernatural work. Uh, if any progress is made at all to the glory of God, it is because of the Spirit and the Word. So you need to be praying. Prayer is a major part of this. Um, self-examination journals and others, uh, you can make up your own, but get them writing uh, about uh, whatever the issue is. Okay, and ask proper questions. There's intensive questions. There's extensive questions. So extensive questions are broad, like a shotgun, and intensive questions are more like a, la- uh, like a laser. Um, uh, um, Randy Patton would say it's the difference between a floodlight and a laser beam. Uh, both kinds of questions can be good. Um, mostly you're probably going to be better off if you use intensive. And then there's a, a list of other questions, there are kinds of questions. And then number three, observe halo data. Do you know what halo data is? It's all the nonverbals. So, for example, I shouldn't tell you this, but if you, if you come to count, if you and your wife come to counseling with me, I'm going to ask the husband a question, 
and then I'm going to watch the wife as he answers, <laughs> as she answers, right? Or he, he answers. And vice versa. When, when she's answering the question, I'm going to be watching him. And I'm going to try to be really subtle about it. But if he puts his head down, if he turns away, if he frowns, if he has a big yawn, uh, if he gets up and leaves, that would be, that's not Halo data. <laughs> but Halo data is all the intangibles. Like she may burst into tears. Or just start, you know, you saw, you see tears coming. That's, that's Halo data. Nobody's telling you anything, but, but if you're paying attention, it tells you a lot. At least gives you some questions to ask. You might say something like, um, hey, before we go on, I just noticed when your husband said those things, you put your head down and you kind of exhaled in the way you did. What were you thinking when that happened? What was going through your mind? And she won't want to tell you. And so you got to dig it out. you got to... Uh, the heart of a man is like deep waters, and the man of understanding draws it out, draws it out. Um, so look at the halo data, the, taint, the tone, the demeanor, the body language, the facial expressions. Um, but be careful not to interpret too quickly. Ask them to interpret it, uh, because you can interpret, you can interpret something. In fact, I think, uh, I think maybe Brian will be teaching after this, and he's got a, a funny story about how someone interpreted uh, wrongly. And, uh, okay, then there's others, information from others, information from other people. Uh, I'm counseling a man right now, and I asked, uh, uh, I, need to, I need to speak to your wife. May I speak to your wife? Or may I speak to your pastor? Or may I speak? If I know that there's somebody close to him or involved with the situation, I want to talk to them, if they'll let me. And, and then uh, listen to how they pray. So in... Um, at the end of the session, my and I tell the, I tell them this at the end of the very first session, and then we just stick with it. Uh, whether it's a couple or whether I'm counseling a man, uh, I'll say I'm going to lead us in prayer at the beginning. At the end, I want you. If it's a couple, I'll ask the husband uh, at the end to uh, pray at the end, right? Because what he prays about might be significant. Things he doesn't pray about may be significant. The fact that he says, no, I don't, I don't want to pray, may be significant. And so ask him to do things like this. Uh, prayer is, is a really important one. Um, so listen to how they pray. Uh, record home, uh, home conversations. You've got to be careful with this one. Um, but if, uh, uh, if a husband and wife, there is, a, there is a place where that can happen. When they are doing the conference table, it might be good. Uh, if you could, to uh, get that on recording so your counselor can listen to that. Uh, any written courses, correspondence, anything written down is great. And then get the facts, number five. Counts, the counselee will likely try to put his or her own spin on the, the issue. Uh, the counselee may see a, a problem as being either bigger or smaller than it really is. Stress what rather than why. Uh, you want the facts. You want the facts. You want the facts. And, and sometimes you're going to have to, uh, to tell people, uh, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Uh, let me try to summarize, summarize it and move on, because they will want to get into all the whys as they see it, or they'll just want to ramble and, you know, uh, take a tour of the mission field and fly through the Milky Way, and you're thinking, my time is going. Uh, ma'am, we just need the facts. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's the importance of listening. Look at that. It's already up there. I guess I jumped the gun. Uh, 
the importance of listening. Good listening is so important. Uh, I mentioned Proverbs 18.13, but Proverbs 18.17 says, The first one to plead his case seems right until someone else comes and examines him. And I can't tell you how many times a husband or a wife came to me and they, Pastor, can I talk with you about my marriage? Well, sure. If it's a woman, I'll talk with her once and then connect her with one of our women counselors. But um, she'll, she'll tell me all this stuff, and I'll think, man, he is such a loser. Where, where's my little chart on church discipline? Because we're going to need this. And then I get him in, and I start asking him questions. And I think, that woman lied to me. <laughs> really, I am convinced that it is impossible. It's impossible to hear all of the facts from one person. You can't, I mean, even if their intentions are great, uh, you're not going to hear the whole story in, until you get the other person to get uh, in, in there with you. So practice good listening skills. All of us need to hear this. Concentrate on... Uh, and carefully consider what the other person is saying. Do not let your mind wander. Some of you need to hear that right now. Because, because this isn't the most exciting stuff you're going to hear, but it's so important. Don't interrupt. Uh, don't formulate what you're going to say while the other person is talking. Don't do anything distracting. Don't look at your phone. Don't take that call. Don't, don't text while you're counseling. You're fired if you do that. Uh, don't talk too much, oh, especially if you're... Are any pastors in here? Pastors? Oh, oh, there's one. Okay. Any others? Uh, yeah, Danny. Okay, there's another one. Great. Uh, so, pastors, let me just tell you that your tendency is going to kill your counselee with an avalanche of words and scriptures, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so be careful. Um, Repeat back in your own words what you think they heard. And here's what I do. I make them repeat back what, what they heard. You know, I'll say something like, okay, well, I've uh, just been unpacking this text and applying it to your life for the last ten minutes. Please, uh, would, you, would you repeat back to me what uh, you think I said? And then I can tweak that if he's got misunderstanding or if he just glitched out there for a second or... Or whatever. Uh, so it goes both ways. Clarifying questions. Don't talk over someone. Withhold judgment. Don't jump to conclusions. There's a statement there from uh, ACBC. Uh, that's important, and I'll let you just read that. Listen to the right things, for the right things. Blame shifting. Blame shifting is a big one. Um, phrases like, I can't, or I'm unable, or this is too much. To which I always respond, uh, do you believe the Bible? Because Paul says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're a believer, if you have the Spirit and the Word, then you can. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Some of this is going to be excruciating. Some of the assignments that we get, when we give them the log list, I always tell them, this is going to be the hardest assignment you've probably ever done in your life, and it's probably going to take you a couple of weeks to do it. Um, but if you do it, you will come back changed. Um, the only time that hasn't happened is when people try to do that two-week project in the car on the way back to counseling the next week. Uh, look for victim mentality, uh, calling sin illness, rabbit trails. 
pay attention to what they're not saying. Uh, look for hopelessness, evasive or devi- uh, 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 defensiveness. Some people have so mastered the art of being subtle that you won't have any idea what they're saying. And so you have to, you have to, and really it's kind of a, an evasive strategy. I, I, I'm, I've got all these euphemisms and all of these sweet ways, I mean, just uh, slick, buttery slick words I really don't mean anything, and they're not going to tell you much, but, but their, their hope is that you won't catch that. And, uh, and you may be uh, tempted to say, hmm, I understand, and you're lying, because you don't, you don't know what they said. Exaggerations, judging the other person's motives, that's a big one. You're going to hear that more in other sessions. Willingness to accept responsibility, uh, that would be repentance. Uh, emotional words, interpretive words. Um, self-talk, God talk. Uh, some people have been so Christianized um, that uh, that they have a, a a rather odd vocabulary. They they talk about the Lord. They talk about God. They they talk about the Spirit. They talk about their blessings from God, and you get the sense that they're doing that, and they they really don't know God. Uh, but they have some kind of a uh, spirituality that comes out in words. Be careful of that, because uh, that may tempt you to run too quickly through the gospel and get beyond it. Okay, counseling records. You're going to be asked to uh, keep good records. And um, uh, observations and uh, other things, you can read all of that. And then... And then number two. Okay, so that's that's lecture number one. We've got three. How many are we doing? Oh my word! I have uh, thirty minutes to get two more done. Okay, go ahead. Was there a, was there a question? I thought I heard somebody. Okay, good. Um, note taking. Uh, take good notes. I meant to bring in. I didn't. Uh, the pad that we use. Maybe I'll bring it next time. Uh, the pad that we use in our counseling center. Um, uh, just some things that, uh, uh, so we have a, a main area where there's lines so you can just randomly write whatever you want to write. I have a blank column on the left of that, and it's for anything that strikes me as super important. And then on the bottom, there's a little empty box uh, for an agenda. And I made the mistake of telling my counselees one time that whatever I put in that left block is uh, really important. The only reason I said it to them is because they were my friends and I was just, I got my guard was down and we were halfway through the session and I reached over there and the wife hit her husband and she said, he's writing in the big box. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Now the whole, the whole thing just got derailed for about five minutes, you know. Um, any other kinds of records, making observations, uh, agenda items, write, uh, write check marks next to your agenda items that have been covered. Uh, I have another way to cover that as well, but keep track of what you have covered, and maybe you can do that uh, in a way that, that works for you. If I end up being your mentor uh, at the 50 hours, you know, doing the 50 hours of supervision, I will require you to do it a certain way because it, it, it communicates to me. Uh, uh, take notes on the first session, uh, detailed factual data. There's some more information there. Um, 
that's for Councilor Records. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I skipped back to that. Um, okay, so this is B in, in this next section. Uh, look for themes and patterns. Look for their view of God. Uh, you, you'll even want to give them homework about their view of God. You want to dig and find out what they think about God. Is, is he... You know, a big grandfather in the sky who, who you only know is the giver of all things. Um, uh, is he uh, a taskmaster? Is he abusive in your mind? Uh, is he an angry father? Is he, um, is he a vending machine, a butler? You know, what's his view? And, uh, you know, don't ask questions like that, but, um, but you gotta get those answers. And, and some of it will just come out in the way they speak. Just be aware of that. Um, label and describe the problem using biblical terminology. Uh, he's, he's not an alcoholic. He's a, a drunkard. That's what the Bible calls it. Uh, there are lots and lots of biblical terms. And, and graciously correct people uh, as, you're, as you're counseling them. And you might say, oh, I noticed that you... Uh, you called this a disease. Um, and then you open up uh, Bob Smith's uh, medical desk reference for biblical counselors and you read them the definition of a, medic, a medical definition for disease. And you help them to see, well, it's really not a disease. There's, the reason people call it a disease is because they're, they're trying to take away culpability. Um, Avoid psychological labels and terms. Again, you're probably more psychologized than you think. Uh, what kind of person is is he or she? Again, we're working on interpretation here. What kinds of person? What kind of person is he or she? A believer or an unbeliever? Unruly, faint-hearted, weak. Uh, that First Thessalonians 5:14 you'll get very familiar with because those are the three categories that we're looking for. Are they unruly? Are they faint-hearted? Or are they weak? And actually, uh, those words, uh, a couple of those words can be translated differently, uh, but they carry, they're from the same word group, and they mean kind of the same thing. Um, are they mature or immature? Are uh, they a fool or a wise person? Uh, and you'll meet many fools in, uh, in counseling. And sometimes you have to tell them uh, what a biblical fool is and help them see that they are one. Uh, put the data in the dock. You know what the dock is? You ever, you ever heard of uh, C.S. Lewis's book called God in the Dock? When I was young, I always thought, what in the world? I can see God standing at the end of the dock with a fishing pole. That's not what it means. Uh, especially in, in, in like early America and uh, old England, um, if you were put on trial or if you were a witness, you were called up to take your stand and you were put in this box uh, kind of a boxy-shaped thing and that had, like, jail bars on it. It was only about this tall. But it demarcated this person as being in the dock. And, and usually what that means is he's on the defense. He's got kind of got one foot in jail. I mean, the dock looks like you're in jail. And so, um, so put the data in the dock, meaning that you need to put him on the west witness stand. Any data that you've collected... Ask yourself, what does this mean? Uh, can I connect it with other things? Let's, let's uh, bring in the prosecuting attorney. Not in the session, 
But as you're, you're at home and you're working through things and you're trying to, and if you're counseling with your husband or your wife, then the two of you can work on this. And, and that's wonderful to do. That'll, uh, counseling with your spouse will uh, do wonderful things for your marriage and painful things, I think. But uh, uh, prayerful, uh, diagnose, prayerfully diagnose the heart. Look for themes and labels. What kind of person? Yeah, put the data in the doc. Okay, uh, prayerfully diagnose the heart. Uh, what is their potential idol? Uh, and you'll want to use, uh, there's a number of books on idolatry. I've never had anybody read the whole thing. We found an article by Lou, L-O-U, you need to write this down, L-O-U, going, like I'm going to the store. Get online, look it up, and uh, the title of that article is Modern Idolatry. And I think it does, in five pages, what the other materials do in 200, 250 pages. Um, and I'm not saying they're bad books. They're, they're wonderful books. Uh, or they're really, really good. But if you're, if you're wanting homework, this is a really good one. In fact, you should work through that, that one on your own for yourself. Uh, it's, it's really that good. We use it. Let me tell you how good it is. We use it on every case that we take, no matter what the problem is. Um, it's really good. So there have been, there have been exceptions to that, but, um, but only, uh, really, really traumatic, difficult, difficult cases where we have to get to the heart of the issue before someone gets hurt. Uh, so prayerfully diagnose the issues. Uh, use x-ray questions. Um, you can look that up from David, David Pallison. I think it's in Seeing with New Eyes. I think he has um, uh, x-ray questions. And then, G, uh, test the validity. Test the validity of your conclusions. And one of the ways to do that is uh, just to ask them about it. Uh, if you think it's going to be fl- inflammatory to ask, then, then just hold back until it's the right time to ask. Um, and you can just go in and say, listen, I've been thinking about this. And you remember when you said this? And then I saw in my notes that you said this. And then you said this. You remember that? And, and am I, do I have the accurate record on that? And, uh, and since these three things are true, then... Uh, do you think it would be um, right for us to conclude that, oh, and by the way, and we have this text and this text and this text, right? Um, you may not get a, a, an airtight conclusion, um, but, it, but it might eventually lead to a breakthrough. Explain your understanding of the counselees. Uh, explain your understanding to the counselee and solic- uh, solicit feedback. Um, okay, so now here's lecture number three. Yeah, building involvement. Building involvement is wonderful. I mean, this is the best part of biblical counseling. Because not everybody you counsel will hate you when you're done. We, um, you're going to make some really lifetime friends. Once in a while, the Lord will give you a case that uh, you will sit back afterwards. I've had cases uh, where things happened that were literally breathtaking. I mean, I remember where I was when it happened. I remember everyone in the room. I remember the, the, the smell of the carpet because what happened in that room was the closest thing to ever 
coming face to face with the Lord that I had ever experienced. The next morning, I was out for my early morning walk, and I was praying about it, and I really found it hard to breathe. And I felt like Peter, who said, Lord, depart from me, because I'm a sinful man. After seeing, I think it was the miracle of the fish. And it was like that. And you know what? It does something to your relationships. There's a man in my church who was an intravenous drug, uh, drug addict. His wife was a prescription drug addict when I met them. Uh, he had actually, uh, he had actually got clean for a number of years before I met him. Uh, but his wife was still taking drugs. And, uh, she became my secretary, uh, for 14 years uh, until she had cancer and she died just a couple of years ago. She went from uh, just being a drug addict to being the church secretary to being the voice of Calvary Bible Church to being an evangelist in an informal sense, you know, just she was evangelist, especially there toward the end. And you know what? Uh, there's a scripture in the Old Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. There are people I haven't seen for years, but when I see them, they come and they just throw their arms around me. And sometimes I don't remember who they were. But they so love you because you led them to Christ. Or you transformed their marriage. There's a couple in Fort Worth. Every time we bump into them in the restaurant, this just happened about six months ago, again, same couple. And uh, we were leaving the restaurant, and we saw them, and they said, Hey, come over. And uh, so we said hello for a few minutes, and we started to walk away, and the husband said, Hey, Pastor, come back here. Came back over, and he gave me a big hug. And he said, Thanks again for what you did for our marriage. Those are going to be wonderful, wonderful times. You're going to have such a, a huge impact. And part of it is this involvement, this relational involvement. And, and secular counseling of every stripe will tell you, don't get personally involved. And God says, get personally involved. Don't be invasive. Don't, I mean, don't, you know, keep your nose out of their tent. But when you're, uh, when you see them in church, love them. Love them. I had a lady come up to me recently and, and uh, I asked her a question and she started responding like a, like a, oh, I think I know what it was. I said, uh, how are you? And she said, uh, uh, fine, how are you? Or how are you? Really, how are you? And I said, no, fine, how, how, how are you? <laughs> you know, and I said, uh, I said, listen, I don't think about that stuff. I can't even remember what we talked about. Right now, I can't even remember that issue. I just love you. And, um, and you'll have so many counselees uh, eventually that you really won't remember all of those things. Um, so we're building involvement. There's so many ways to do it. Uh, let me just hit some of these things. In order to do this, it's essential for the counselee to, uh, the, the counselees to listen to uh, what we say and heed what we say when we speak God's truth to them. Uh, so we are building a relationship around the truth of the Word of God. Those are the best relationships. Uh, this is different from psychiatrists. In building involvement, this is number four, we want to treat the counselee as people made in the image of God, not problems with legs. <laughs> Wayne Mack used to tell us this all the time. He'd say, look, when you're in church and you see that person coming, don't look at them. Don't say to yourself, there's that problem with legs. And she's walking toward me, where can, where can I duck? Um, 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Uh, we all have value in the image of, as, as image bearers, right? We mutually exist to show the world what God is like. Uh, that person has value because God created them for, for that as well as he's created you for that. Um, okay, there is an example of, uh, of this in the Christian Counselor's uh, Handbook by Jay Adams. On page 110, you can look that up. Uh, how do we build involvement? Well, first of all, by compassion. And you may say, uh, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very compassionate person. And I would say, confession is wonderful, but let's now talk about repentance. Because <laughs> you are commanded to be compassionate. You may need to cultivate that. You may need help with that. Um, I'm from New Jersey. I'm, I've needed a lot of help. I still need help with that. Uh, when I get talking to my brothers and sisters, uh, my family just cracks up laughing because it's, it's so different. But, um, and, and, uh, even in our office, uh, sometimes, uh, one of our secretaries has said, you know, if, uh, the, if the women in the church spoke to one another like the men in the church do, <laughs> we would have no church. Um, but, but men are men, you know. So, uh, Matthew 9, 36, here's how Jesus responded to people. He had compassion for the multitudes. Uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep who have no shepherd. You remember where Jesus was contextually uh, at that moment? He'd just been exhausted, I mean, totally drained by his ministry. And he decided to take a retreat with his men. So they got in the boat, they went to the other side. <laughs> the people figured it out, and they were waiting for him on the other side. And, uh, you know, if it were me, I'd get a couple of my associates and say, um, he's not available, or he's down the hall, or he's, uh, he, he really needs to run, uh, or something. Make up some excuse to not talk to another person. And that wasn't Jesus. As exhausted as he was, he, he saw them. That means from his heart, he thought of them as sheep without a shepherd. And he is their shepherd. Now Mark 10.21, and Jesus uh, looked at him and loved him. This is uh, Jesus having speak, uh, 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 having uh, compassion. Uh, I think this one is, is uh, yeah, the, the uh, rich young ruler. He loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. But it's, it's that phrase in there. He looked at him and he loved them. This is the omniscient creator. He knows who this guy is, even though he may have never spoken with him before. He knows what's in his heart, presumably. And he loved him. Uh, Luke 7, 11 through 15. So, so love your counselees. You're going to have counselees who have the strangest quirks and... You know, they're, they're not the people that you're going to want to hang out with all the time, and they might smell bad, and they, you know, who knows what it is. They got foul language, and, you know, you're going to work on that. But, um, but have compassion. Cultivate compassion. Uh, Luke 7, 11 through 15. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples, and uh, with his disciples, and a great crowd went out to him. And he drew near to the gate of the town, 
Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched her, touched the buyer. And, uh, and the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, uh, young man, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, the young man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. There is a, uh, the reason I, I kind of glitched out there for a second. I was trying to remember the name of uh, the John MacArthur uh, sermon that I heard years ago called the, uh, the, the pity, what is it called? The pity and compassion of Christ. The throngs were all around him. And somebody said, hey, my, my, uh, my daughter has died. And as he's on the way, everybody's touching him. And here he was getting ready to do this great thing. And he stops and he says, someone touched me. <laughs> How do you know? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knew. And he knew what he did. He stopped. He stopped what he was doing. And he took care of this person on the way to taking care of that person. It's really wonderful when you see uh, the, the, just the compassion and, and the, pit, uh, the pity of Jesus. Acts uh, uh, 20, verse 31. Uh, Paul's ministry of confrontation was one permeated with compassion. Acts, in Acts he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years... I did not cease to admonish. By the way, admonish here is the word, uh, the, the Greek word, nutheteo. Uh, so our organization, ACBC, used to be called NANK, right? How many of you knew that? Boy, it's a whole generation of people. Um, it's where Jay Adams started, you know, the whole movement, and it was called NANK, the uh, National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. And nuthetic comes from nutheteo, uh, which means to exhort, sometimes even to command. Um, but uh, remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you, what are the next two words? With tears. When you admonish someone, do you do it with anger, frustration? Or do you do it with compassionate tears. Uh, Paul was willing to suffer God's judgment if, he, if it meant that the other Jews would find salvation, Romans 9.13 says. Well, let's talk about how to cultivate compassion for your counselees. Well, first, uh, view your counselees through the golden rule, Matthew 7.12. Uh, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the, the law and the prophets. Think of your counselees as family. Because they are. If they know Jesus, they are. Think of them as your family. First um, Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. A younger man as a brother. Older, an older woman as a mother. Younger women as sisters. With all purity. Treat these people like your family. Think of them like family. And then think of your own sinfulness. 
Think of your own sinfulness. It's so easy to see other people's sin. It's so hard to see your own, or at least to own it. Galatians 6.1 You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. In this passage, he's, the, the line leading up to that is, even if your brother is sinned, uh, you who are spiritual, restore him. And that's the goal of all church discipline. So remember how sinful you are. Uh, Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Paul Tripp says in, in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he, the subtitle of his book is People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. And that's what you are as a counselor. So uh, I'll tell you a, a story about myself when I was in your position in Indiana. And Steve Byers gets to this point and he says, Do you think of yourself as more like Jesus or more like your counselee? And I went, <laughs> Jesus. He said, if in your heart you said Jesus right now, you have a serious pride problem. And I went, I didn't know that I had that. And you know what? I have never, ever forgotten that. And Steve Ayers knows nothing of it. But um, how do you view yourself relative to your counseling? You may unwittingly think that you're much more like Jesus than you are your counseling. But seeing yourself... As a fellow sinner, a saint who is, in the words of Martin Luther, Luther uh, simul justus et peccator, at the same time justified and sinner. We still have propensities to sin, and some of them, you know, if they were ever exposed, you would, you would just be mortified. The things that have, have gone into your heart and have. Now, think of... Uh, Think of the destructive nature of sin, James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desire, when it has conceived, will give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, will bring forth death. And you know what? That's the gestation period, the gestation process of sin. It begins in your heart. And it ends in your death, your destruction, your condemnation. Remember that. Remember that the warnings of God against sinners are warnings to you as well. Proverbs uh, 25. And by the way, think of Ananias and Sapphira. Think of Judas. Think of Judas. He's carrying the money. I mean... He had constant temptation hanging from his belt. I had never thought about that before this week, and I don't even know why I thought about it. But he had constant temptation hanging from his belt. And if you were his counselor, you would say, get rid of that. Give it to me. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> and then I would have constant temptation hanging from my belt. Um, Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and without walls. You know what that means? If you were in, living in ancient times, um, you lived in a town, you're hoping you could live in a town with walls because that's what keeps the bad things out. It keeps the animals out. It keeps uh, uh, ambitious 
military units who were wandering looking for someone to plunder. And if you don't have if you don't have a wall around your your place, you're in serious trouble. Anything can come in and you're helpless. And so is the man who lacks self-control. It's not so much his it works the other way as well. Other people are in danger because of you. But the point here in this proverb is you're in danger. You're in danger if you don't have self-control. Uh, James 4, 4 through 8. It's, uh, I think I have it printed. Do I have it printed out for you? Okay, you can look it up. Um, and then uh, here's another one, respect. How do, you, how do you build involvement? Respect. How do you show respect for your counselees? Well, use appropriate speech. Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, speech that builds up and considers the need of the moment. Proverbs 16, speech that's gracious. Uh, speech that is gentle. Use appropriate nonverbal communication. Don't be too comfortable, but don't be too stiff either. Um, make eye contact. But not too much, especially if if you're a man, especially and especially especially if you're a pastor, you want to make eye contact with the lady that you're trying to help right now, and uh, but not too much. It's got to be balanced. You don't want to communicate something that you don't intend to communicate. Sit up in your chair. Don't slouch. Uh, I could say some funny things about that, but uh, be wary of certain facial expressions. Um, this is probably it's probably best that you uh, ask someone uh, who maybe has been in counseling or has been with you in, in other situations, uh, especially if they're a leader, and ask them, you know, does my facial expression around the people we're leading, uh, what does it communicate? Um, that's especially important in counseling. Uh, don't check your phone. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, when I'm about ready to start a session, uh, I'll whip my phone out after introduct- introductions and things, and I say, um, I'm messing around with my phone right now because I need to set it for an hour. It doesn't mean we're done in an hour, um, but it does mean we need to start landing the plane uh, sometime around then. And so, boink, here we go. And this is going to be distracting, but it's, uh, that's the point of it. Uh, I just need to know when an hour is up because I really don't want to be worried about time. I just want to focus on you. And so that may be an exception. You might come back and say, you know, I don't think that would work for me. That's okay. Find your own way. Uh, how we communicate care, be available. Be available. Uh, sometimes uh, a counselor will say, uh, Pastor, is it okay if my counselor, you know, texts me and calls me? And I And I always say... Well, of course, but monitor that and, and don't let that become a pattern. You're not their savior. Um, and so try to help them do the work. They might have a legitimate question about the homework, and it's going to be a short conversation. You're going to clarify, and you see you next week. Um, but it shouldn't be constant texting and constant phone calling. You know, you've got family and other things to care for. Um, so, but build that relationship by uh, more communication. Be available to them. Uh, pray for your counselees. Again, this is spiritual work. It's the spirit and the word. You have no power to change anyone. And the sooner you learn that, the sooner your marriage is going to improve. Um, 
don't jump to conclusions. This will kill your counseling on the spot. I've seen that happen twice in, in my ministry. Uh, and uh, you, you form a judgment. You blurt it out, not as a question, but as a conclusion. And that's, that case is done. It's over. And, um, yeah, don't let that happen. And then sincerity. How do we communicate sincerity? We'll use personal examples of failure. Use personal examples of failure. And by the way, pastors, if you're going to have a counseling ministry in your church, you better let your congregation know of some of your failures. Uh, Because they are never going to come to you with their problems if they believe you don't have any yourself. Or, Or maybe they would if it's really bad, but they're going to be less likely. So Paul, however, um, like Paul, we should turn it back to God and his grace. Um, and so whether it's, it's your problems or their problems, you know, I am what I am by the grace of God. If, if I'm different than I was when I was 18, and I am, praise God. Oh, praise God. <laughs> um, it is by the grace of God alone. So let your counselees know that you are not a medical professional. The kind of instruction that they will receive from you is spiritual and based on your understanding of the Word of God. And uh, don't direct them to direct them to uh, physicians, but don't give them uh, medical advice. Because if you give them bad medical advice, even when it com- comes to supplements, look, supplements. You're 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 a biblical counselor, not a supplement seller. Um, or don't even encourage them in the counseling room. That's off limits. Uh, because that can get in the way of your ability to counsel. Okay? Great. Well, you've been a great audience today, this morning. I hope you're learning and growing, and uh, I can't wait to sit in with you next time. If you have any questions, uh, I'm going to be here over lunch, and uh, I'd be happy to get to know you and talk to you, build some involvement with you, okay? Thanks, everyone. You're dismissed to lunch.